I do have one thing I want to share, and that is, as we mentioned earlier, we were able to go to various places, Yosemite, the ocean and everything. So what we wanted, I, I really wish I could have shared some pictures with you, so I am. And that is, two of the songs this morning were from pictures I took. When I go on vacation, I try to find, like if there's something I'm going to take a picture of, I'll raise the camera so I get the sky and put words on it for songs or in the bulletin. So you'll get to see some of our pictures that we had, um, not because we're bragging, but because much of it is obviously God's creation. And as we were gone and looking at that, and many of you have been different places throughout the world, and there's beautiful places, cliffs and everything. I'm sure Ted and Becky could share that about Austria and um, Germany and different people. But all the earth is under a curse. And, and it's the result of sin. I'm looking forward to the day as creation groans and everything is changed. The Lord comes back. And um, I mean, it's glorious as we think about what's coming. It's hard to imagine with all the beauty we see right now. But that's behind us um, as far as trips. We're still looking ahead. So with that, I want to lift this morning in God's word. The last few weeks, we have focused on the stewardship of the church the Lord is building as something we must not neglect. We spent time in Acts 2 looking at that, where the Lord expects his children to walk as the scripture leads us, being ready to minister in both physical ways and spiritual, for God's word is our need to apply and see others come to our Savior. Today I want to see how I, in 2018, personally am relate to relate to the Lord's church. And this morning we want to look at three things about that. And the first one is this. As a faithful steward, there must be a wholehearted commitment and love to the person of God. Those of us who know the Lord are stewards now. We've been given a stewardship based upon the word of God. A good beginning here is in Matthew chapter 22 that is given to God's people. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. <coughs> As it talks about here, living with the heart, mind, soul. The command is not new, nor is it to be taken lightly. We are to do whatever we do with that in focus. If we hold up a, some kind of a glass and we're looking through it, it would have there, love God, and then see what's going on and what you are going to do. Whether it means washing dishes, mowing the lawn, whether it means gathering for worship. We're to love God with all our heart. But that isn't a new commandment. If you remember, it's first given back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see how it's familiar? Jesus simply reiterated this great command 
But in the context here, Deuteronomy 6, it's the foundation of the home. We're to teach this to our children. We're to be focusing on that as we lead our children forth. We must realize this, even as Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 called for judgment on those who don't love God. So I ask you this morning, do you love him? We need to answer that question as we are confronted with God's word. Now, in Luke 14, we find ourselves confronted with an illustration of that that I want to look at this morning for a while. Luke 14, follow as I begin reading at verse 25. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, so he's speaking to the multitudes, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Powerful statement, but he goes on. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, he goes on to illustrate, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. <clears throat> saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. And likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now let's look at this portion for a moment. In verse 25, there's many following Jesus. They're on the Jesus bandwagon, if you will. He's a guy worth listening to. So he turns to them and he speaks to them. And it's interesting how he begins very pointedly. If anyone comes to me, Okay, that sounds good. And then he goes on and point, makes some pointed statements. And he's, notice how it's put here in Luke. You want to follow me? you got to hate your father and your mother. you got to hate your sister and brother, your children. It, even his own life, it can, that can't be the king. And he says, he can't be my disciple. Very interesting, isn't it? But what does he mean by hate? Well, let me give you an illustration in the opposite direction. We read in Matthew 10:37, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Simply put, these items of the earth cannot be the priority. If we say, turn to our wives, and I imagine we've done it. I imagine I did it with my wife. I love you with all my heart. 
Well, something's lacking there because we're to love God with all our hearts. Yes, we're to love our mates, our children. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is look at your relationship to God. Think it through. Do we love God? See, if that means then we're to hate or to love with everything, that means the lesser, as he talks about. Hunting, sports, toys, computer games, Facebook, food, cross-stitch, and whatever else we might like to do or love has to be down where God comes first. That is what we do as stewards of God. He is very pointed, is he not? Again, here in Luke, he says, if you don't hate that, you can't be my disciple. That's strong. Now, what is a disciple? Well, if we study the whole picture, it is a synonym for being a Christian. Those both are attached to Christ. We desire to follow him. So I ask, are you Christians? Are we disciples? That's what the task text is asking us to look at. If you're a disciple, you want to know more about the Lord Jesus. You're going to study the word. Even blood ties can't stand between us and God. We need to look at that. I, in a personal way, have had to face that. Why don't you do this instead of following God? If probably many of us have. Jesus is saying there must be complete loyalty, devotion, commitment to him. Even my own life can't come first. That's our stewardship. But he goes on, look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's repeating in a different way, but it means there's some difficulties tied to a cross, that cross that ties us to Christ. And then in verse 28 through 32, he illustrates it by building um, and not having enough money to do it or going to war. He gives us some illustrations. But then he sums it up in verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a story I heard one time where a man, a rich man, put a dime in the offering. That's all he put in. And then he realized, oh, no. He, 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 something's wrong here. That's all he had. He put it in. The usher came up to the pastor and whispered something to the pastor. And the pastor held up the dime. And he said, somebody here this morning put in this dime. And after looking it over, it's worth almost $10,000. And somebody put in $10,000 this morning. Of course, the guy who put it in wasn't too, maybe, I don't know. But that's the picture, giving everything you have. So that includes your life. Paul sums it up in Colossians when he says this, or we read that already, Colossians 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he must have the preeminence. And we looked at that recently. Our commitment or stewardship to him must be first, unqualified, total. But there's another thing we must remember as we think about the church, and that is a faithful steward knows a commitment to God and that it includes a commitment to his program. In the Old Testament, God focused on Israel, this special people. There's no question about that as we come from chapter 12 of Genesis through Malachi. He even deals with heathen nations in the way that they are tied to Israel, a local people. Do they hate Israel? Do they fight it? What? See, but in the Old Testament, that's how he focused. But in the New Testament, he focused on the church. And the key verse on that, and you're familiar with this, is Matthew 16. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus made that statement, he was standing in Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, there was a huge cave. And maybe Jesus was standing near that cave. But that cave was called the gate to hell. Because it went down. And maybe that was the setting for that message. Peter, who do you say, or who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon that confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what's tied to hell? Well, it's tied to demons, to Satan. And as he builds his church, and we look at the first mention of it, the first mention implies a strong ministry. We have to be ready to go forth. But second, it also implies that Satan's going to attack us. The church will be invaded by the very realms of hell. That's where the church goes forth. You go forth into a foreign nation. They've never heard the gospel. They're wrapped up in their gods or whatever they might be wrapped up in. And there's an enemy there. You know, as you look, heard the news the last few years especially, with all the people who profess to be Christian having their heads cut off or something else, as Satan tries to stop the church, the gates of hell attack martyrs daily. And what happens? The church goes on. The church triumphant. And so third, we see the Lord will build his church. And it's so important that he will do the work to build it. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians, please. Chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Here Jesus talks about this in a brief way. 
But I want you to see this as he's been talking about his eternal plan in the first 21 verses. And then it says this. And he, this is referring to the Father, put all things under his feet, referring to the Son. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, in verse 22, he tells us all things are given to him. We see his headship directed to the church, to the church, which is body. And his whole program focuses there. We cannot separate the head and the body, which we are called as the body of Christ. The Lord talks about individuals. He talks about families, jobs, governments. And however they fit into life, they all relate to the church, which he is building. Some reject it. Some reject his whole ministry, his message, and they, they're going to burn. We can't take away the church from his program. All things to the church. That's the program of the age in which we live. In fact, turn to chapter 5, Ephesians 5. Why is it so important? Well, again, he tells us. In verse 25, he uses the illustration of a husband. But look what he says. Husbands, love your wives to this extent, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He gave his life for the church. By the way, why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with all the washing of water by the word. See, the church is important. He gave his life for it. We can't turn our backs on it. Now keep in mind, the church is the visible community of believers. Those who have united are joined together in a given locality. That's what he's talking about. The church is made up of its members, I want you to think about that as he discusses the church. We're going to look at another passage in a little bit. But see, he talks about church coming together. In Acts 5, yet none of the rest dare join them, but the people esteemed them highly. This is talking about unsaved people who are afraid, and they wouldn't join them. That's talking about membership. That's talking about being joined together. Unsaved didn't want it. Or we read in 1 Corinthians, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, well, how do we know if the whole church is there? Because it's got a membership, a number. Everybody's here. We've counted them. The whole church. Or we read in Acts 20, 28 is, Paul talks to the Ephesian elders, and he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or pastors to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Well, notice yourselves among them. The picture there 
How can he do his job if he doesn't know who he's doing it to? He doesn't pastor everybody. He pastors that church, a tight-knit group. The local church in Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Des Moines. Now, the church is his body. That is how important it is to God. And let me ask you this. How can a person love the Lord and ignore what is most important to him, his body? And yet believers do that. Could you imagine a woman being married to the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings and root for the Green Bay Packers? We won't go into those teams. I'm using that as an illustration. We can't imagine something like that. No, we can't. And yet the believer, as united to Christ, should love him and his body. We cannot deny that. That's why we spent time on Acts 2, 41 and 42. Remember we saw in that day 3,000 souls were saved and added to them a specific group. There is membership. And it's something believers ought to be tied to and found as part of their life. They were baptized. They were added to the local company of believers as attached to Christ. See, at the time of believing, at the time of believing, yes, you're added to that invisible body, but you also move forth to the local body. Let me share another passage with you. I want you to think about the great blessing that God gives his people as found in the local church as we read Hebrews 13. I want to explain this in a little more detail. Obey those who have the rule over you. That's referring to the pastor. And be submissive. Why? They're watching for your soul. That's his job. To pray. To bring forth the word. To minister the word. But he goes on. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. What he's saying there is the overseer, the pastor, is going to give an account for his relationship to that ministry. Now, in light of that, as I realize, I'm going to give an account for every member of Emmanuel Baptist Church when I stand before God. But he goes on. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. When he stands before the Lord and gives an account, might he do so with joy? And then he says, for if it's with grief, that would be unprofitable for you, to the believer. If I give an account one day, and I don't know how it all comes forth, but if there's that grief there, the unprofitableness comes back. Oh, what an exciting thought to realize God has given us a position in man to watch for our souls. Yes, he's going to give an account. He's accountable. It's a stewardship. But when the church is unwilling to follow God's appointed under-shepherd, there'll be problems. 
I want to make a comment here to you young people, whether guys or girls, and I don't care how young you are. What a greater role in life you can have if you want to move forward and be an under-shepherd. Whether a pastor or a missionary, or your ladies say, hey, that's a man's job. Yeah? So maybe God would have you to be a missionary or pastor's wife. I met a guy, his name, he's a was a missionary to Bangladesh, and then he went to Nigeria. And he shared with us how he prayed for a wife. I didn't pray this way. I don't know of anybody who did. But she has to be saved, yes. She want, has to be called to be a missionary. She has to be called to be a missionary as a nurse. She has to be called to be a missionary nurse to Bangladesh. And that's how he prayed. And he met Doris. And she'd been praying pretty much the same way. Oh, by the way, if Bangladesh doesn't work out, Nigeria. That's what happened. Wow. See, God uses women. You ladies, don't be afraid to move forward going to the Christian school, realizing God could call you to into his service in such a special way. And if you don't believe me, you talk to Becky Fletcher. I imagine as a kid, she never knew she'd end up in Austria or Germany. And I imagine she's enjoyed most of it Yes, difficulties. Missionaries always have difficulties, just like pastors or any other servant of God. But what you ought to pray about that. You parents, you ought to encourage your children to be thinking about going forth and serving God. No, there's not a lot of money in it, but there's a lot of joy. Anyway, I got off the subject here. Can't get off the subject. By the way, my wife was looking for somebody who wanted to serve the Lord, too. And I'm sure David and Bethany could share the same. Pray about it. Well, the last thing we want to look at today, we've got 44 more points. But we'll skip all those and move to the last. <laughs> Just kidding. A steward's commitment to the church will be visible. Go to chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 8 tells us, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high and led captivity captive, when the Lord went back to heaven, he gave gifts to men. So he gave gifts. Verse 11. And he himself gave some, and here's the gifts, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And the pastor and teacher go together. He lists them. Why does he give that list to the church? Well, he tells us in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I want to point something out here in verse 12. It, it is a little translation note. Some translations will put on verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, 
when they're talking about the body of Christ. There is no comma at the first one. It reads, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You train the saints to do the ministry. That's what he's telling us here. Now, as our pulpit committee functions, and they are functioning, I understand they were in a three-hour meeting. See, I don't have any part in the pulpit committee. So if they have a three-hour meeting, that's their problem. <laughs> but anyway, as the pulpit committee functions, you as a church need to pray for them, that God will lead them to a man who ministers the word faithfully. In fact, as Emmanuel seeks God's will for a pastor, there are certain things to keep in mind and think about relating to this passage. And you need to pray that they will seek a man as seen in Ephesians here. What's it to include? Well, it's to include teaching to ministry. We've looked at that passage, but it includes a stewardship in two areas, to believers, that we all grow and meet others' needs, to teach, exhort, encourage, rebuke. Those are all given to the pastor, to meet physical needs as we've seen, to consider their needs. There is no excuse for not growing for believers. Second, as we think about it, they also are to reach out to unbelievers. That even they will become Christians. Need to be ready to go. Again, meeting physical needs and ministering to souls. But not only is there the goal to teach saints to minister, but also there's that need for edifying, build up, strengthen, aid, and grow. In both of these, there needs to be a proper, well-balanced scriptural diet. See, the actual time together in worship is primarily for believers as we gather. Primarily for believers. We are the ones who love the Lord and are committed to him. So we come to the feast and feed on the word of God with the goal to grow, to leave here as different saints than when we came in. We grow to serve, not just fill our memory bank of our computer, but we're there to ready to be practicing our stewardship. Yes, it includes food that we may not think you want, but oh, it's necessary. There's things in the scriptures that aren't always fun to look at. My wife, she hasn't done it for years, and I thank the Lord for that. Lima beans. But you know, if they're good for you, you eat them. There's passages in the Word of God, maybe some have even hit you this morning that we've looked at, that can be like a lima bean. But you need it, and you take it in, and you're ready to use it. See, that's what we need to be doing. Oh, the desire to serve and grow. And all this takes commitment. The pastor must be committed to the Lord 
so there will be a proper care for the sheep. But not only want a pat you want a pastor who fits you, but there must be a commitment to the Lord by those sheep desiring to grow. The congregation will look forward to gathering for the word, to, to, to the desire to feed me, give it to me. That's the kind of pastor you ought to want and pray for. That's the church. Now as we close, do you see how important the church is to the Lord? He puts God's man in there. The church grows together in doctrine and practice. Oh, it's so exciting to see it happen. It's not a take it or leave it attitude. We need to learn to function better and better. We need to tell the Lord that as we look for the future. We'll show it by our actions as well. Might we grow and be committed to the church that he is building as stewards of his? If you're here this morning, by the way, and you don't know the Lord, you're missing a real blessing, but you're on your way to hell. And you ought to be doing something about it. We've looked at believers. But if you don't know the Lord, you need to call upon him today. You're accountable to him. And if it means making a commitment to baptism, you ought to press forward in that. It's time for God's people to have the blessing of serving and honoring him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's with thanksgiving we come to you. We thank you for the way you work in our hearts. We thank you for the church that you are building. We thank you, Father, for your care and knowing that you're the one who brings men in to pastor, to go forth to serve you. And we do pray for young people here that they might get a vision of serving you and ministering forth. Guide us now as we part. Bring us together again this evening, not only for the uh, preaching of the word, but the ministry of the word, as we discussed, VBS, the fellowship we can have after church, that we can enjoy one another as a family. Guide us in Jesus' name.